Welcome back, Brown Girls. Ashanti here, the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. One of the things we heard from our listeners was that you really wanted more roundtable discussions. Throughout the rest of the season, we'll be bringing you discussions recorded live with Brown Girls that we know you will love. On this episode, we will hear from senior women of color leaders across the National Democratic Political Committees. When I first came to D.C., you would be hard-pressed to find women of color across the various committees guiding the day-to-day strategy around party politics, candidate recruitment, and voter engagement, and doing it with a strong lens on inclusion. Recorded at Hustle's Washington, D.C. office, Lucinda Gwynn, Executive Director of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, Farah Melendez, Political Director for the Democratic Attorneys General Association, Wendy Wallace, Deputy Executive Director of the Democratic Governors Association, and Muthoni Wambu Kral, National Political and Organizing Director for the Democratic National Committee, sat down with me to discuss everything from the grueling work of campaigns, imposter syndrome, and finding your squad. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. Thank you everyone for coming tonight and joining us at Hustle, who is hosting us. I'm Ashanti Golar, I'm the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, and we're very excited for our very first live podcast that we're doing. And I'm excited to be joined by these four extraordinary women. And last week when we started tweeting and advertising the event, I actually got a little bit emotional because I realized when I started in DC, it wasn't even possible to put together a panel like this of senior women of color leading political committees. So it's definitely a testament to how far that we have come. But then I also felt really special that I know all of these women and I've been able to work with them. And I just have so much admiration and respect for what they do and love the fact that when I emailed them asking them if they would do this, they all said yes and made some time in their busy schedule. So I'm going to let them each introduce themselves and just start off with their name, their title, and what brought them to politics. Hi, I'm Mathoni Wambu Kral, and I'm the National Political and Organizing Director at the DNC. Uh, And I would often refer to the fact that my mother and father had me holding protest signs before I could walk, so <laughs> there was some subtle osmosis there uh, in terms of engagement. And I think that I started with engagement, and a lot of it was really organic to my environment. I was born on the south side of Chicago in the 70s, and that was a highly engaged time. Uh, and I was um, brought up around two active educators who believe that to whom much is given, much also is required. and. That is certainly, I think, what led me to what would then be the other sparks in my life uh, that led me into formal politics. But, you know, I, I think that the most important piece of this was the awareness. And when I finally, uh, and I went to Howard University, I was here in DC, I sort of never even looked at the Hill at the time. I was a journalism major, so I had a different direction I was going in. But when I did, Uh, And when I had an opportunity to work where my sister sitting next to me worked, actually, uh, at the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, it was my first time really seeing under the hood Mm. sort of what the politics look like and, you know, what it took to win one lousy congressional seat. And I began to realize, (laughs) well, it's no wonder, like, yeah, it's a lot of work. (laughs) 
But you also see why it can be such a barrier for folks to mm -hmm. entry and mm -hmm. what it takes to be able to get more diverse people elected here is no easy task. And we were at the beginning at the time that I started in a different time in politics where the role of money really had begun to grow and increase because of the way that we were communicating to voters. So that is what really got me involved in a much more deep way. Awesome. Lucinda. Yeah, um, I'm Lucinda Gwen. I'm the executive director of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, also known as the DCCC. I grew up in West Texas. My parents were both educators as well. I did not grow up in a particularly political household. I thought I was going to grow up and be a marching band director, and I was trying to get my music degree um, when our governor, George W. Bush, launched his presidential campaign. And he opened up his headquarters right down the street from where I was going to school. All these people wanted to go intern and it was going to be so cool on the George Bush campaign and and I thought I don't know anything about politics but a compassionate conservative why do you have to say you're compassionate like what does that mean and I, I was very confused by that so I got lost in a rabbit hole an internet rabbit hole and um decided to start volunteering for the local county party. And my job there was to actually conduct the primary election. It was presidential primary election that year. Um, I won't tell you the year because it was a long time ago. You already know, it already knows. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, it was an interesting experience to, my first foray into politics was to literally recruit election judges to sit all day and conduct the elections. And as uh, many folks are aware, Texas has some pretty brutal um, voter ID laws and very a lot of barriers to entry. And, and I really experienced firsthand on my first foray into politics the amount that, that those laws really impact women, uh, people of color, and that impact is so disproportionate. Um, and I was hooked. I knew that I wanted to work to make our better our, our world a, a better place so i stayed on the campaign trail and you know it, it is an interesting life to work on political campaigns you work for six months at a time after election day you're out of a job your health care is gone you're out of a job what do you do and that barrier to so many people from the regular world, right? To be able to work inside of this industry and work inside of a, a field that actually does help to make our world a better place is so challenging. Um, so, you know, it, it's hard to, you know, do odd jobs. I used to work in a bakery. I was a temp. I was a substitute teacher. I did all kinds of odd jobs to keep myself in politics because I enjoyed campaign work and what we were driving towards so much. Um, but but it is it is a real challenge, and I'm so glad that we're we're all I think collectively taking so many steps to try to make those barriers lower and lower and lower, and hopefully go away so we can get more just more talent to our industry. Oh yeah, I definitely want to dive into that after yes. the rest of the introductions. <laughs> Pass it on over to Farah. Yeah, um, so I'm Farah Melendez, and I am the political director at the Democratic Attorneys General Association, also known as DAGA. And I think what got me really involved into politics and interested in politics was by, honestly, default. My um, I'm a first-generation Latina, and my mom, I think, was really the one who inspired me to get involved. Um, she left Chile at the age of 17 when there was a lot of turmoil. She actually was a activist and started gathering groups in the middle of the night, pounding pots and pans because there was no food. Um, and so then my grandma was like, you know what? The government's looking for you. You got to go. So she packed her bags, 
um, or bag. She had one suitcase, got on a flight, and she went to Jersey. And I think that really has inspired me because now as a first-generation Latina, with my parents being so into and involved still in their countries, my dad's from Honduras, I've had the great burden of learning about this country while also teaching it to my parents and my family. I'm the only person to um, be involved in politics in my family. And so this has been a lot of a learning curve for me, not only to be a first generation um, uh, Latina, but also see the challenges that it comes with by seeing what my parents have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis along with myself. And so I think I had no choice but to get involved in politics because it was so personal. And especially with this administration, it's so dangerous where I personally feel attacked every day, um, where we see kids in cages that look like my nieces and nephews. And so I, it's, it's hard to say no and turn a blind eye and turn your shoulder towards what's happening now. But I think it's it was a default for me. I had to get involved. And I think now I'm really glad that I'm not only the first political director to ever be at this committee, but I'm happy to say that I'm the first Latina to do it. And first generation and my family is is looking at me like, wow, no female or no person in our family has ever done something like this before. Wendy. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Wendy Wallace. I am the Deputy Executive Director for the Democratic Governors Association, just rounding out the acronyms with DGA. Um, I think, it, it, you know, I was thinking about this question a lot, and I, I do not have a consistency of answer, um, because I feel like there's a lot of different first for me in politics. Um, but I think like the earliest time I can remember is, you know, I grew up primarily in Colorado, but my parents are from Arkansas. They're Southerners. I was born there. My sister was born in Georgia. Um, and so we have these like very strong Southern roots, um, which are all, you know, my grandparents marching in civil rights protests, bricks being thrown through our windows, all of those kinds of things. Um, and I remember very specifically when we were kids going to church and they would have candidates come to church. And I think for most of us who have worked campaigns, we've done that route, you know. Um, and I remember our pastor at the time used to say, I can't tell you who to vote for, but I can tell you that this is the person who showed up. Our door is open to anyone who's running. There are people running against her. She showed up. And that was really powerful. And I think for me, you know, they say all politics is local. I also think politics is in everything you do because it is how you show up, it is who you talk to, it is how you spend your time. And those in those like very early days, those were the people who wanted to come and spend time with us and answer questions from elderly ladies at our church. And that is what really made the difference. And I wanted to be a part of something like that. I love it. And I want to get back to what Lucinda talked about and 
it's doing this work in politics because I'm very honest with me. I never thought that I could do this because I never saw women locally or really statewide being able to do it. I was a weird child, watch C-SPAN, turn on C-SPAN, not a lot of people that look like me. And I had to look afar to Washington, D.C. And that's where I got to know the colored girls. And they recently had their book and reading their stories. And you see just politics in general, there's a struggle. And when you add on being a woman, a woman of color, you get the other layers. So how have you all managed to survive yet thrive in this industry when like so many don't and you're in senior levels at these political committees making very important decisions about politics. So how have you managed to do it? What advice do you have for everyone? I mean, I think for me, it's all about support systems. Like one of the things you said earlier is like you're fortunate to know all of us, um, which I'm totally honored by. But every single person here has my cell phone number and I like text them frequently. Um, and so I think there are, you know, there's like those memes that are like behind every strong woman. There's a group text hyping her up. That yes. is <laughs> very true in my case. There are, and there are those same people who are like, Wendy, can I see you over here for a second? Cause you're wild. Like, and cause I get very amped up and I get like, I can't believe this is happening. So I think for me, it is a lot about support systems. I lean heavily on my friends and family. Like my sister would tell you if she were here, like she'd just be rolling her eyes um, because she's like, I just am waiting for you to be present in the moments because sometimes you're very caught up in what you're doing. And so she checks me and like brings me back down to reality. And I think you need that as well because self-care is really important mm -hmm. um, and to take those breaks. But who your support system is and the people who are close to you uh, can be your success or failure. It's really important. I agree with that because I know I've had plenty of like lunches with Wendy where I'm like WTF, have the same lunches with Farah, Lucinda and I have been in the same meetings, like side-eyeing each other, like do they even know we're here and what we do and they're still going to say that and have had plenty of morning phone calls with Mosoni where we're like, oh, so now a woman's running, this is what they going to do? Oh, okay. And it's like, and they know we're talking about them too, which is the best. They're looking at you and I'm like, yeah, we're talking about you. Yeah, we are. A, a lot of what Wendy said, it does take us support network and this industry is very hard I think I don't want to speak for you all but I know I have certainly been the only woman at the table I have been I'm biracial I, I have been the only Latina sitting at the table many times and that is a hard and lonely place to be um, and I, I remember when I was in my early 20s I had a boss who kind of grabbed me by the shoulders and said you know you need to go manage a campaign and I, was, I thought oh my gosh like Oh, you are crazy. That is just, I am not ready to do that. I, that is not a job for me. But I think that it is important in our peer groups and as we work with um, younger women who are coming up to say to them, you can go manage a campaign. And I'm pointing to Kayla from my office right now who you can't see, but you can go manage a campaign. You can do it. And, and it was a big step. But ultimately, you know, working on campaigns and managing campaigns is a place where young people in their 20s get more, I, I think probably campaigns and the military are the only two industries where young people get so much responsibility. You're in charge of payroll. You're in charge of making sure your candidate who's 20 years older than you is 
sometimes, hopefully they're going to get younger too, but, but is calm and has what they need and is prepared and can set up for success. You're responsible to make sure a team has the tools that they need to be successful. And that level of pressure, you learn from that and you grow from that. And I can't think of another industry that gives people those opportunities. Unfortunately, it also comes with sometimes an end date to your employment. And that is really hard. And so really trying to use that support network to help people in between those campaigns is just as important because we can't lose talent. We can't tell young people from our communities and grow them up inside of campaigns and then say like, sorry, we can't help you now. So it's that those pieces are so important. And I, and I think we are trying, I think, as a generation in this industry to do better and to be as helpful as we can. I also want to mention that imposter syndrome is real. And let's talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I can say from experience that I, so I never had a network. I didn't have, like I said, I didn't know anybody in my space and my family who even talked about anything outside of, I was watching TV Chile, which is Chile channel, right? And that's all that I knew until I started jumping into campaigns and learning about local politics. So I um, I think it's important to know that it's also good that we support ourselves. We have confidence in ourselves because we might not have that network. It's like, I got my first job on a campaign by just applying online and I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and it's okay to be okay with failing sometimes. And if you don't try, you're never going to know where you're going to end up and which doors are going to open and the people and the network that you're going to know. So I, I'm the newest to DC on this uh, lovely panel. And I can say that before coming to DC, like I'm from Utah, I'm a brown woman in a room full of white people. I'm Mormon and I'm Latina. Like, what else do you want? (laughs) And um, I think it it was a really a big struggle for me because every time I tried to reach out, um, it was either like these men were honestly being they were being very inappropriate with me. Um, So there were sexual harassment issues. There were women who didn't want to help me. They saw me as competition and it was. I, I couldn't get anywhere. It was dead ends everywhere. And so until I I just decided, you know what, I know these things and I'm going to just try. And I don't want to check every box, you know, on an application anymore. I'm sick of it. I just want to go out and open as many doors as I want to and see where it leads me. And I think the the women on this panel have been really wonderful to me personally. And I think a lot of us look up to all of you because of the things that you have done, especially Ashanti. You were one of the first people that I met coming to DC. Um, and I think the network and friendships that I've built while here is I, it, it's never going to end. Like, sorry, you're going to have me in your lives for the rest of your yeah. life. <laughs> what? But, um, <laughs> but I think it's really important that, you know, if you don't have a network, if you don't know where to go, it's like you also have to believe in yourself that you can achieve things that are impossible. As a first generation, I didn't know that I could get paid to do this. Um, I didn't know that this was possible. I was like, mm-hmm. what, why are these people so passionate? Why are these people yelling at these conventions? Like, what is going on? Um, and so until I started asking the questions and I wanted to find out more. And so lead with your curiosity as well, because you never know where it's going to take you. Mm-hmm. I would just say, I think that it's, it is important that you have options for yourself, that you look to the shelf and you say, what do I need today to get through this? Uh, and whether that at times 
may be that you have a friends and family support network. Sometimes it is your sheer willpower and you're just gonna will yourself to victory that day. Sometimes it is therapy. Uh, sometimes it is uh, <laughs> <laughs> or two. Uh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> that is definitely right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Alone or with others, you know, whatever. Uh, and, you know, and sometimes it is meditation. Sometimes it is the spirit uh, animals that you fancy yourself after. Mine is Tubman. And when I just sit there and I keep thinking, what the hell do I have to keep doing to keep going? Uh, and when I think about all the people that I feel that I am in a purpose moment to come back and to keep doing this work, to for and with, that has oftentimes been like enough. And and that matters on so many levels. When we elect women and women of color to office, we get better policies. We get different perspectives to a decision-making table. And that also matters inside of campaigns and government and industries. When we are sitting at a table and we are making big budget decisions about how to spend our money for those Gosh, those congressional races, they're very, some of them are very tricky. But but when we are making budget decisions about how we are going to allocate out money, we need different perspectives sitting at the table. We cannot close ourselves into a room and make decisions um, with limited amounts of people. And those, those our perspectives and our life views and Farrah's story, Wendy's story, Mathoni's story, Ashanti's story matter to how we run institutions, to how we help uplift more people and how we get new perspectives into every piece of the decision-making process and how our campaigns are run. Um, I think um, one of the things that, uh, to just shift to the how can we be better and how can we do better at, at making sure we're uplifting folks. I know something Mathoni and I've spent a lot of time talking about is making sure that our campaigns are run with the staff that represents the communities we're working and fighting so hard to represent. Mm -hmm. And there is no better way to do that than to go into the district or the city council district or the city and the state and pull up talent and train folks up. None of us started this business with any experience except for Mathoni, who's why I'm waving signs and she was yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, but a lot of folks, I think it's not just us that had a misconception that you can make a make a living in this industry. People think that campaigns happen around volunteers, but actually, how can we go into the communities we're working so hard to represent, train folks up and uplift them, and then make sure our candidates um, have access to resumes? And there is a talent pool that lives not just in Washington. Not everyone can afford to come to Washington. That can be a podcast episode in itself. Can we talk about that? Yeah, let's talk about that because that's real. This industry are literally defining why we don't have the level of diversity that we should, in addition to old networks and things that we all know are very visible, but the sort of still the invisible piece that we. We lift up a lot. Enough of us are having the conversations, and there are groups and organizations now that are really pushing the bar around how we uh, ensure that this industry is accessible to all of us. Mm -hmm. And that is, there are so many pieces along the way from the paid internships that did not 
oftentimes exist, mm -hmm. even years ago, and that is starting to be normalized. I mean, <laughs> folks had to throw some tables and chairs about it and yes. make a lot of noise, but, you know, I think we are moving in a better direction around recognizing the value of our talent and our human resources. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I say that because I want people to keep looking at this industry as something that is for you. Yeah. Um, when we work together, Lucinda and I, we made sure that we put together um, with real intentionality for our interns, like panels about how you can afford to work on a campaign. Like all the advice that we mm -hmm. wish that someone yeah. had given us mm -hmm. about how to structure yourselves so that you can engage in this, in this world. Because I try to like let folks see that not that far down the line, along with the responsibility, you actually begin to get paid for your expertise. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. frankly, you may move right on past some other industries That's in right. terms of like what yeah. the pay scale looks mm -hmm. like. Yeah. Right. And you mm -hmm. should. You are carrying tremendous amounts oh, yeah. of budgetary and hiring, et cetera, responsibilities. And you could be 29, mm -hmm. and that is already mm -hmm. the case. Mm -hmm. So there, there is a lot to be gleaned, and we're in a time where folks are a lot more mature than I was. So I continue to really encourage um, <clears throat> people to see this as a place for you and that there are a lot more resources available now than uh, certainly when, when I was first coming along. Sometimes what keeps me up at night is thinking about how much farther we have to go as a country. One of the things I do to feel better is dive back into my work to get women recruited and trained to run for office across the country. I know that many of you feel the same way. Brooke is a small dollar donor with AppBlue who said that she likes to give to candidates she's most passionate about when she's feeling this way. In her words, I donate so I can sleep at night. I donate to encourage amazing young candidates who have stepped up. I donate to try to save our democracy. Like Brooke, I'm constantly thinking about how we can get more women elected who can enact the change we so desperately need. One of the many things we need to get these incredible women elected is funding. So much of this comes from small dollar donors who give through ActBlue. ActBlue is a fundraising platform and nonprofit organization that makes it easy to give and to make your voice heard. They help thousands of democratic campaigns, progressive organizations, and nonprofits build people-powered movements. They're more powerful than any mega donor. Visit secure.actblue.com backslash about to become a small dollar donor yourself. That's secure.actblue.com backslash about. Now, I agree with that because I remember when, you know, I was very fortunate someone reached out to me, like Latoya, who's the vice president here at Hustle. She was like, so Jeannie and I think it's time for you to move to D.C. I was like, oh, I can't afford that. I was just like, oh, you can hear her laughing right, in the background. Right. <laughs> I was just like, no. And she's like, just like, no, like, we got you. It's like, we'll make sure you'll be fine. I was like doing my little spreadsheet. I'm like, I don't know about this. But I was lucky because her and my other sister, Lisa Hargrove, like, they did make it work. So that support system is really important because immediately I was just like, nope, can't afford to live there. Not going to do it. And it's cold and I'm from Las Vegas. So... <laughs> I thought for a moment, I worked for uh, a women's organization before coming to the DNC, loved 
my team. Like I have embraced having really smart people around me. It has just been a reminder that like managing people is managing people, but also hearing the feedback from them at times around what it means to have a strong female boss and uh, to have a strong brown female boss and even for my young brown men who are working for me too. Uh, but for everyone, I think, again, this goes back to the basic um, fact that we all enrich each other and it has been it has been to the detriment of our politics, our policies, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of our outcomes, our winning, that we have not had the makeup that we need that is reflective, that we impact one another's thinking, that we impact who we think is capable of doing this, who we see as being, you know, a breaking down all the little miniature biases. Uh, and that is an important part too of why i have stayed in this work mm -hmm. i am over 40 years old i am the nerve that. to be a mother at this age and yeah. <laughs> of a young child and um, and i'm still you know keeping up on the road a little bit uh that is what is required of this job i have a supportive partner and spouse that has been very critical to me being able to continue this but I really feel like I'm making a damn point um, I've seen a lot of women drop out of this work and we are determined to make this a space where we can stay in this work for as long as the men that we have seen they have had families right. of five I have yeah. one child and I'm like oh god do I stay do I go no I'm staying and I'm going to continue to be a voice at the table that helps to hopefully shape the policies, the culture, to make this feel like tolerable work. And I love that you said that because just talking about the presidential campaigns, there's been so many stories about women who have interviewed for jobs and they told the candidate, I'm pregnant. And they're like, okay, that's great because we're gonna have parental leave and we'll work it all out. So to even see that change where someone's not trying to hide the bump with a big sweater, it's, it's so different. Mm -hmm. And I want to go to Lucinda. You are new to your role mm -hmm. as the executive director of the DTRIP, and you took over after there were some very public issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I know for me, I was just very much hoping, let them pick a woman of color, you know, to do it. And when I saw that it was you, I definitely let out a squeal because I'm like, Lucinda is perfect for this. So what made you say, okay, I'm going to take on this challenge and honestly, if I can say, like, fix these problems in this committee. We were, we were having very real conversations about it, and the Saturday morning, kind of after all of the turmoil happened at the D-Trip, um, I was sitting at home and I, my phone started going off, and uh, I got news that a racist shooter drove across the state of Texas to my hometown of El Paso, Texas, into a Walmart that is a mile away from my house, that is a place my mother was at the day before, and killed 22 people. And I wiped off my tears, and sorry, um, and I looked at my husband and he said, we're doing this, right? And I said, we're doing this. There's no way I can sit this out right now. These are very serious times that we live in. These, There's too much at stake. And in a city that has become such a lightning rod to this president in so many ways from literally kids in cages and shootings and a literal wall, the only wall between 
President Trump and his worst impulses is the House majority, it's the Democratic House majority, and I will fight like hell to keep that House majority. And we can do that work with the full support of Chairwoman Bustos in a way that is true to our democratic ideals. We will and continue to do that work in a way that makes sure we are prioritizing um, communicating early and frequently and in very culturally competent ways with the communities of color that are so critical to the coalition that is going to make sure that we maintain this House majority and hopefully, frankly, grow this House majority. Um, so I am I am proud to take on this job. It is going to be a wild year, I'm sure. Um, but, but this House majority has passed gun safety reforms. It has passed the biggest um, ethics reform since Watergate. It has continues to pass and look for ways to lower the cost of health care. And we keep running up against this firewall um, with Mitch McConnell in the Senate. And it's just letting all of our good work go to die. Um, but we're going to keep fighting and we have to hold this majority right now. So, And these coalitions are really important. And Muthoni, you're fairly new to your role too mm -hmm. at the DNC. And you have just really honed in on making sure that the people that make up the Democratic Party feel seen, especially when it comes to women of color. I was just with you earlier this week. We were in Milwaukee doing a site visit for the convention. Very excited about that. We were in Atlanta. So Muthoni and I travel to like a lot of the same things and we did like a great Latina Equal Pay Day event. So how are you really honing in on starting early, which is important because, you know, Wendy talked about, oh, you see the candidates at church, but we normally see them during GOTV season. We don't see them early. So it's really great that you're emphasizing this now. I came into the DNC under Chairman Tom Pettis. Uh, and, you know, it has been really something interesting and wonderful to work under not just Tom, but also who insists on being called Tom, but but also working for Seema Nanda, our executive director. Um, they are both civil rights attorneys, and there's something really important about what has shaped each of our walks into this work. Um, I remember I used to feel that way about Attorney General Maura Healy. She came in with her civil rights uh, leading as her identity, coming into a prosecutor's job. But that was something very different and telling about the lens she was gonna bring to the work. That is the lens of the folks who were there when I got there. Mm -hmm. And I needed to pick up and help shape where they really were looking to go. We already had organizing core, which is like a historic mm -hmm. investment in creating a more diverse pipeline, uh, starting with paying young people um, who are college juniors now, will be graduating next year in time to work for the nominee, training them. Uh, and they worked, uh, 300 of them already were trained and working over the summer with various state parties in our battleground states. Um, we all know that there has been a very lopsided presidential staffing uh, structure in place, and it has often lacked diversity. And for many of us who've had to work in it, we screamed, that's why we're not winning things. And we meant it. And we were right. Um, and that diversity go is exactly what I went and started hiring for inside of the DNC. I mean, it definitely shows. I love the way in my other job that I've been able to partner with the DNC and do things. And I've been able to partner with FARA as well 
because the Dem AGs, you guys have really centered women. I remember when we had our first conversation about the 1881 initiative where you're all like, we're going to focus on women, getting diverse women to run for AG and win, and we want to work with y'all. So tell us a little bit more about that. Um, so we were talking about the dynamics of the campaign and what entails and what she would need to do if she wanted to jump in. And she kept being very reluctant because, as we know, women need to be asked twice as much or 10 times as much to even consider being in a race where I would have a white male immediately jump in and then a woman of color would take me nine months to a year to convince them. Um, so this this candidate, uh, she told me, you know what, I, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. I was poor and I don't, I don't know, I'm not involved in politics and I'm a 32-year veteran. What about me? And I'm I'm a black woman. What about me? It makes me qualified to run for office. I was like, keep talking because I don't hear anything about you're not qualified to run for office. Um, and so, I mean, that goes back to being able, making sure that we're supporting the women who are interested in this and supporting our network. Um, 1881 started because of stories like that. It's called 1881 because, or 1881 initiative, because 1881 was the first year women ran for the office of attorney general. It wasn't until 100 years later where one was actually elected. Um, right now, the Dem AG coalition, we have six women AGs, which I love them all, but we still have a lot of work to do. Um, so as I said, when I first came to DC, Ashanti was one of the first people I met with because as I was having these stories and these women were really struggling to get into the race and finding a reason why me. And I was like, because of that, why not you? And so we partnered and I started looking around the room, you know, who who else cares about these issues? And Ashanti and Emerge really stuck out to me. And that's when we partnered with Emerge. And now we want women not only to be interested in running for office, but be trained and win and be competitive. Um, and so that has become the focal point to get more women to not only run for attorney general, but also know that the office exists and know that it's an opportunity because they have some fantastic prosecutor women and also just attorneys um, out there who are women and who are doing some really amazing things. And it's up to me to kind of find them under a rock wherever they are all over the country. Um, so it's been it's amazing. And it's I will never forget the stories that are shared with me because I'll ha I'll hear stories of their children or stories of healthcare or you know problems that and all the reasons as to why they're not going to jump into the race or why not me this time i think i need to be more qualified i had a judge tell me she wasn't qualified enough to run for office and um and so i think this program that we started with with emerge with the 1881 initiative has really been able to find a place where all those women can feel confident I didn't know. I went to a training and I didn't know I was going to end up crying so much at a training. Next to me, she's like, we're an hour in, I'm crying. You didn't warn me. <laughs> it's, it's just so inspiring to see these women. I think one of the most inspiring women to me personally is Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. She's the first Latina senator and she was a former AG. And, um, my home state. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and my neighbor state. So, um, I mean, we need more Democrats in Utah generally, but um, so that's why I look to her so much. But it's 
it was so important and crucial. And I wish this program had been around longer. But again, our our committee was fairly new. I was one of the first hires. So I've been there for a, for quite a while. But it's this was something that I really focused on. And I I said there's there's a problem here, and we need to fix this. And we need to support women a whole lot more than what's happening right now. All y'all are killing it. I can't wait for 2020. So our signature question that I ask all the guests, what advice do you have for the brown girls out there listening that are saying, I want to be just like her? I would greatly advise starting now. This is an incredible moment to come into politics there are a lot of campaigns. We work with the just a we work with a sample size of the number of campaigns that are actually out there. We forget how many people are running for these many elected and appointed offices uh, across the country. And they are looking, so many of them, with all of the work that so many of us have done to recruit diverse candidates, they want diverse staff. They mm -hmm. really do. Mm -hmm. And they really want you to keep going and one day like grow with them perhaps even in their careers and be their most senior advisors. But they want to see this ecosystem change. Yeah. They don't like not having enough choices, not seeing enough women pitching them for business, not seeing enough people of color in, you know, in these roles where they are running or managing their campaigns or helping to raise mm -hmm. the money or are behind the research, helping to inform and interpret the research, um, you know, behind the polling, all of these different jobs that we have. And there are so many more training programs that are out there, but darn it, you can just kind of get in on the ground floor. You don't mm -hmm. actually have to go through a formalized training. That it could just be called being a field organizer. Mm -hmm. uh, it is That's training right. enough. Right. Talking yep. to the people. So I think I have three things. One is make a lot of friends. Uh, second is open as many doors as possible for yourself. And third is have the confidence of a mediocre white man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I didn't, like I said, I haven't had as much um, influence around me growing up. Um, I have a fun story that we could talk another time about how I almost slept on the street in New York because I didn't have the financial support and I was trying to impress an executive and I spent all my money on my outfit and the bus never came back to take me back to DC. Um, so for me it was, but you know, I actually made a friend that day who then I'm still friends with who helped me get the job I have now. Um, so make a lot of friends along the way. You never know who you're going to meet. Open as many opportunities as, as you can. And if you don't like the job, then quit. Um, I really, really emphasize on you don't have to check every single requirement and box that is listed. Mm -hmm. um, we we talked about it, but the undertone of what we've been talking about, but I really think that's that that could be an entire separate conversation. Um, I've been in rooms where it's, you know, you don't you don't actually meet the the requirements we're looking for. I'm like, then you know what, I'll take all the responsibilities and then you tell me what I don't have. Mm -hmm. um, and so speak up, like Lucinda said, uh, don't be afraid to ask questions and and you never know what's gonna come. Um, I would say try hard and fail fast. Uh, just that one I feel like is pretty self-explanatory. It's just like get it over with. Like get started, get it over with. If it doesn't work, try something new. Like that's it. Um, I think the second piece is, you know, be you. 
because I think what happens is a lot of times people see these role models and they want to like be that person. But what we, we don't need another, I'll just say it. We don't need another Wendy. Sometimes one is too many. Uh, so like, just do you, you know what I mean? Like do what you're doing because that is the extra flavor that we need in the room. Um, and then the other one is like, don't, like go with the flow and don't be afraid. I I'm a I like a plan. I like to work the plan. I like to execute the plan. People who know me are like, yes, that's a hundred percent true. Like, I don't really like to deviate that much. I will say, like for me, the times when I have just gone with the flow and been like, okay, well, whatever happens, it's gonna be fine. You you have to like not have fear and just ride the wave because life will take you some pretty interesting places. Such great advice. Thank you, all of you, for everything that you do every day and service to our party, to our country, and on to more and more winning in 2020. Right? Thank, Thank you, you everyone. Thank you. <laughs> Yay. Awesome. And I have to say a special thank you to Act Blue who sponsored this podcast. And they have been really great at uplifting women, women of color, people of color, and they make the BGG possible. So I have to thank them for allowing us to share these stories with the masses. All right. Thank you, everyone. I hope you were inspired by this episode. Thank you to Lucinda, Farah, Wendy, and Muthoni for everything they do to make our country better and for being great friends to me. Thank you to Latoya Jones and Hustle for allowing us to record in your office and a special thanks to Act Blue for sponsoring this episode. Stay up to date with us on the BGG website, www.thebgguide.com, and on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at The BG Guide. The Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network. You can find them on Instagram at WMN.media and on Twitter at WMN Media. Until next time, Brown Girls.